Hey, if you got your Bibles, let's go ahead and get them out. If you got something to take notes with, grab that. Let's get it in our hand because I'm excited uh, to receive the word tonight. Uh, did you enjoy Joyce Meyer last week, though? How awesome was last week? That's a big deal, yo, that we had Joyce Meyer come to our young adult service. That's like, that's incredible. Um, but man, this week is gonna be awesome because one of my very best friends in the world is preaching tonight, uh, somebody that I love so much, who's been a blessing to my life. Um, how many of you know that like, uh, like, like good people are, are like kind of maybe easy to find, but like great friends can be difficult at times? Um, I'm, I'm talking like friends that like, these are your ride or die, thick and thin, like, like they'll go to the ends of the earth for you kind of friends. Um, and, and that's what Pastor Leighton German is to me. And uh, I love him a lot. He's our arena riot pastor here at Celebration. And uh, he's, no, he's no stranger. You've seen him before. He's emceed services. He's been with us at Sub 30 for many, many services. But tonight, I'm really excited and honored to have him preaching the words of Sub 30. Could you stand to your feet with me? Let's put our hands together. Let's welcome Pastor Layton to preach the word. Come on, Sub 30, how we doing tonight? You can have a seat, you can have a seat. Man, it is uh, so good to be with you. Can you do something with me really quick? Can we welcome all of our first time guests? If you're a first time guest, so glad you're here. I say it every week at Riot, and I'm gonna say it here. Our prayer as a church, if you're a first time guest, is that you just leave better than you came. Um, I don't know what that looks like, I don't know how that plays out, but that's our prayer for you and what's gonna happen tonight. Can you also help me welcome the online guests who are checking out, maybe a Vimeo, maybe live right now. So glad you're with us. Online guests, we've got hundreds of people who tune in online every week. Uh, like Pastor Clay said, my name is Leighton. I'm the riot pastor here at the arena. I am recently married. I got a ring on my finger. Recently married to my beautiful wife, Hannah. Hannah, can you wave or dab or something for the crowd really quick? Just wave. Okay, it's good. Um, if you didn't get a chance to see Hannah, I, I want to say this. I outkicked my coverage way outkicked my coverage. And if you're a guy in here and you're looking to outkick your coverage, it's really simple. Just serve Jesus. Just serve Jesus. God is the God of immeasurably more, more than you can ask or imagine. So if you want to find a wife who is that immeasurably more, just serve him and watch what he'll do. We've, we've loved married life. The Netflix has been real chill. It's been incredible. <laughs> we love it. It's incredible. And next, I wanna, I wanna honor, you know, I gotta give honor where honor is due. Um, Pastor Clay and the Sub 30 team are absolutely unbelievable. Can we give it up for them? And I, I wanna say this. What they do every, every single week, like Pastor Clay said, is one of my best friends. He's not just one of my best friends, he's one of the best communicators I know. He's one of the best pastors I know. He's one of the best leaders I know. I'm not giving him lip service. This is truly what I feel. Pastor Clay and Liz and Tyler and the team and Kelly and the team, they're unbelievable. And what you need to know that you're a part of is a miracle. This is a miracle of what God is doing in Jacksonville. This isn't just a good service. This isn't a good ministry. This is remarkable and this is an absolute miracle. Never lose sight of what you get to do and what we're a part of here. This, is, this doesn't happen. People call Pastor Clay. I know that it happens on the weekly to find out what God's doing here. And the answer is, I don't know, man. Jesus is good. God is good. But the reality is, is you're a part of it. Don't ever forget that you're a part of a miracle. It's unbelievable. If you have your Bible, I'm gonna jump in really quick. We're gonna go to 1 Samuel chapter 16 if you have your Bible. If you don't, we have the Bible in the sky, so it's amazing. It's gonna be behind my Justin Bieber haircut. He is coming to Jacksonville soon if you like Justin Bieber. 
We got some believers here. First Samuel chapter 16. We're going to start in verse one. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's the story of David. We're going to look at two stories of David tonight. Starting in verse one, it said, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer, take Chick-fil-A with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and, and I will show you what to do. You are, you are to anoint the one that I indicate. I love it. You're to anoint the one that I indicate. In the beginning, he says, I have chosen one of his sons. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, Bethlehem is like I, like I like to call it, not Bethlehem, Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they heard. And when they, when they saw him, they said, do you come in peace? And Samuel's like, yes, I have no beef. I come in peace. I'm just here to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Tim Tebow stands in front of me right now. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Then Jesse called his nicknamed son Dab and had him pass front of Samuel. And God said the same thing. I haven't chosen him. Two sons, Eliab and Dab, just passed through. And God's like, no, those aren't the guys. And then Samuel actually, Jesse actually has five more sons pass through Samuel and God didn't choose any of them. Seven sons just passed through after God told Samuel, one of these sons will be my next king. So in verse 11, Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? No, well, actually, they're, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Well, Samuel said, send for him. We won't sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel went on to Ramah, and it says that also from that day, the spirit of the Lord left Saul, and then a spirit, an evil spirit, went to torment him. Second passage I want to look at. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read two verses. What we saw here is David, one of Jesse's son, one of his eight sons, was anointed the next king of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 5 is actually 20 chapters later. 20 chapters later, after he's anointed king, and here's what it says. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. So what you see here is that David is anointed king at the age of 17. But by the time he is 37... After the seven years in raiding in Judah, he finally reigns in Israel and he's 37. 20 years after he's anointed and 20 chapters after he's anointed, he's finally given the kingdom. Tonight, I wanna to talk to you from these two passages that we're looking at of the life of David. And I've entitled it, if you're taking notes, Developed in the Dark. Developed in the Dark. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for the sub-30 family that you, you've given us. God, I thank you for every single person in here tonight. God, I just pray that you speak, that we take the back seat and you take the front seat. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to say, and only you. 
God, I pray right now for uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, free agent season is going on. We haven't signed a pass rusher, and that is something we desperately need. So please open the floodgates and send us one. No matter what it looks like, what color his hair is, just make him be fast and get the quarterback in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've been praying for that. We need a pass rusher. Chris Clemens is gone. How many of you, I got a question. How many of you, you like to take pictures? You really like to take pictures. We got Sean Kernahan. He loves to take pictures. You love to take pictures. Right now, we are actually in the midst of the greatest selfie generation we have ever seen on the world. The greatest selfie generation. If there's a movement going on today, it's, it's a selfie, selfie movement. If you were to hashtag the word selfie on Instagram, there are tens of millions of pictures with the, the hashtag selfie. And the thing that I love about selfie, I'm gonna get out my phone so we can take a selfie. The thing that I love about a selfie is that when you're taking a selfie, Pastor Clay, it is so authentic. Like, it's so authentic. It's never spontaneous. I mean, it's just like, you never wanna get the right angle. You know, you never wanna get the right angle. You, all, you never wanna get the right lighting. It's like you're walking and a selfie happens. You know, it just, just happens. You know, selfies are just the most spontaneous things we see in life. It's like, oh, I never find a white wall and take a selfie with my friends that we posed seven times for. We just, we just happen to take selfies. It's so spontaneous. Selfies are so spontaneous, so authentic, they're so real. They're just, they're unbelievable. And it's the best thing about us is that we never fake anything in our pictures, never. And we never choose the right picture. We, ne we never do. And I think the reason, when I, when I think about selfies and I think about pictures, you know, when I look at Instagram, there are 50 million pictures uploaded on Instagram a day. It's a lot of pictures. But when you look at pictures and why people post so many pictures, and I, I think about the ease it takes to, to take a picture. In today's generation, what we do when we take a picture is we snap and we upload in a matter of seconds. Like if I were to take a selfie with someone like sitting on John Reed's lap, if I were to sit on his lap, take a selfie, I could upload it to the whole world, whoever is following me on Instagram, in a matter of seconds. So easy to take a picture. We're in a snap and upload generation. But when I think about like the good old days, some of you know the good old days. High schoolers and middle schoolers who snuck in here with your brother, you don't know about these days. When I think about the good old days, I, I think about the Polaroid. Does anybody remember the Polaroid? Actually, this is a disposable, I'm sorry. Wrong thing, disposable. Does anybody remember the disposable? So like you could walk up to somebody and, yeah, got you. Just blind them, got them, got him. The disposable was great. You know, you didn't know what you were taking and I would love to see a, ble a blooper reel of all the disposable pictures that were given to dark rooms at CVS and Walgreens. It'd be crazy. It'd be an unbelievable series at, at Sub 30. The disposable was great. You would take it and then you would, you would reel it. And then before that, you know, there was something that Moses invented called the Polaroid. And Moses invented this thing. I don't even know how to work it. Where you would, did it, that work? Yeah, you would take the picture and then something would pop out and this little paper would pop out. I, I don't know how to work this thing. Moses, will you come back? But if you know a Polaroid, you would take the picture. Ah! I wasn't pressing the button. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so I'm still with the riot. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I love you guys, oh my gosh. But when you take a Polaroid picture, you follow the, the lessons of Outcast, you shake it, and then eventually an image will pop up on the Polaroid picture. 
You know, in a matter of, you know, with, when you did the, the disposable, you could take it to CVS and you can have it back in like an hour. And that was like really, really good time, but you had to pay a lot of money. When you had a Polaroid, you could shake it and eventually, I don't know who I took a picture of, but in about five minutes, you're gonna pop up on this, this film and this photo paper. And, and it was really easy. And that's why we took, take so many pictures now. And I think that's why we took so many pictures when we were kids. But if you look at the origin of photography, it wasn't an easy process. It was not an easy process. There were actually these things they had to do. They had to put film in a camera. So they had film like this. Sometimes 35 millimeter cameras would have film that would be in a, in a little canister. They would put the canister in a camera and they would take pictures. And from there, you had to take the film out of the camera in a dark bag with no light getting in and take the film to a dark room and then develop the pictures. When you look at the origin of photography, there was this thing called the darkroom. And what the darkroom did is it took film and it took images that were taken and it developed them. But the thing about the darkroom is no light could enter the darkroom. It had to be complete darkness. I actually took photography in high school, no judgment here, no condemnation in Jesus. But in the darkroom that, that I would work in in high school, there were actually th this revolving door where light could not enter no matter how someone got in the room. And the reason that light couldn't get in the darkroom is if you ever got light in the darkroom, this film would try to develop an image. It was this latent image on this, this photo paper. If light ever got in, the picture would be deemed and classified overexposed. Light got in really early, the picture wasn't fully developed, and so now it's overexposed. Light was there too early. But if light didn't get in too early, you would take the film through nine chemical processes, and at the end of those nine chemical processes, you would then go outside the light and show people the picture you had. So the image was taken, and then the image was developed through nine chemical processes in a dark room with a photographer before it was ever seen in the light. And here's the thing that I think. I think when we think about purpose and calling and destiny, our generation has, has somehow convinced ourselves that God's kingdom is like a snap and upload kingdom where he gives us an image and he gives us a picture and we can snap it and upload it and share it to the world for all to see. But I'm here to tell you tonight that God's kingdom is so far from a snap and upload. God's kingdom is so far from the selfie generation. He's so far from what we know as photography, what his kingdom looks like is a dark room where light could not get in before it was developed. Because if you know anything about a darkroom, here's what you need to know about a darkroom in a, in, a, in a film. If light was not in the picture, light could not be on the picture. And what scares me is that, that sometimes we think that we can seek out, out the light on us before it's ever in us. This is why God uses a dark room to develop you and I, is because God is so much more concerned with the light that is in us than the light that is around us or the light that is on us. And here's what you need to know. If the light ever gets on you before it's in you, what is it called? Overexposed. And the light that's actually on you now destroys you. It was supposed to illuminate you, but now it's destroying you. And we have a generation who are seeking after the light to be on them, but God is asking them for the light to be in them. The reason that God uses the darkroom, I thought through a few reasons of why God uses the darkroom. First of all, the reason he uses the darkroom is because he does want the light in you before it's on you. Secondly, the reason that God wants to use a darkroom is because he cares way more about your character than he does your gift. 
So many of us are like, God, I have a gift. It needs to make a way. My gift will make room. And yes, your gift will make room and it will open doors, but your gift will open the door, but your character is the only thing that will keep you there. And what I fear is that my gift might open a door that my character can't keep and God's gonna open a door and I'm gonna be overexposed just like images in the dark room. God needs your character. He's way more concerned about your character than your gift and he's also way more concerned about your character than your comfort. He's gonna put you in uncomfortable situations that develop the light in you so that when the light is on you, it doesn't destroy you. Another reason why I think God uses the dark room is that God needs anointing, not talent. God needs anointing. If I were to talk about the Bible, if we were to read the Bible and we were to look up the anointing of God, it says that it breaks yokes and it breaks chains. But if we were to look at this word talent, I don't think it would ever say any of those things. And some of us are trying to break yokes and chains off people's lives with our talent, but we have no anointing. How does anointing happen? Anointing happens when olives are pressed and broken. This is why God develops people in the dark so he can press out and he can pull out all the anointing that he wants to give you so the talent that you do have can do things that he wants to do for his kingdom. God, God has to have character. He's, he has to have has anointing. And here's why it's so, so important. This is the main thought of tonight. If you don't hear anything, you need to hear this. You will never be discovered in the light if you're not willing to be developed in the dark. Never. You'll never be discovered in the light if you're not willing to be developed in the dark. When I was in high school and I would, it was in photography, I was really there to sleep in the dark room, but at some point I would have to do projects. And when I had to do a project and when it was a must, I could remember the pictures that would get overexposed. And light got in really early and I never really got to develop the picture. And I had this thought as I was preparing this message that the picture was there, just no one got to see it. It didn't change the image. It didn't change the fact that I took that picture. It didn't change the fact that it was on a negative. But what it did change is no one in the world got to see it. And what scares me is I think that in in church today, we have a lot of overexposed images that no one gets to see. And God's given you an image, but the thing is, is the light that is on you is destroying you. Because God wants light in you. Why did it take David 20 years to get the kingdom? Why was it 20 chapters later that from the time David was appointed to to the, from the time he was anointed to the time he was appointed, it was 20 chapters. Why is that the case? Because God wanted character in David. Because he wanted anointing. Because he wanted him to be a king before he ever had a kingdom. Because he wanted a light to be in him before the light was ever on him. Because if the light wasn't in him, then the light around him would would destroy him. And in the story of David, you see some things that happen. God, God does some things in David's life that I think he wants to do for us. And here's what we have to know as a picture. God has given all of us an image. In Genesis 1, it says that we are created in the image of God. And in the image of God, he created us. We're not the photographer. We're the image. God's the only photographer in this business. We're the images. And I think sometimes we can get caught up trying to create our own image when we are created in an image. And this is what you see here, what God's doing with David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
God is showing the world that he's the only photographer in this building. When he's talking to Samuel, he's saying, I chose, I have chosen, I have rejected. Choose the one that I have indicated. And he's being really clear with his pronouns that I am the sole photographer in this business. And there are three things that you see God do for David that I think he's gonna do for all of us. And the first thing that he did for David and the first thing that a photographer do, does, and the only thing that God does is God chooses. God chooses. As a photographer, God chooses. He picks the images he's going to use, when he's going to use, what he's going to use, and how he's going to use it. God chooses, and he's the only one who chooses the image. And what I would happen to think about a photographer is a photographer is going to choose an image that most reflects them. If a photographer tonight is gonna send an image to Pastor Clay on behalf of Sub 30, the image they choose to submit is gonna be the image that reflects them as a photographer. And I think why we're missing it and maybe why we're not the image that God wants us to be is because we're trying to create our own image, but we were created in an image and he doesn't want us to be anything else than the image he's already given us. And the way that he's gonna use you, the way he's going to use me is when we reflect the image of who he is. The photographer in this business of the kingdom and purpose and leadership and calling is going to pick an image and use an image that looks like him and nothing else. And I love in this story how God picks the image, how he chooses it. Because what you see is that Jesse and Samuel have a conversation and seven sons go to the house, seven out of the eight. And when the sons walk in, Samuel's lining up the sons. And he's like, okay, well, well Eliab, it's gotta be him. He said to himself, he says he saw and thought, this is the Lord's anointed. But then God says something really interesting. No, it's not him. I actually have rejected him. And what you need to know about Eliab, and probably the reason that Samuel wanted to pick Eliab, is Eliab looked a lot like Saul. And so when Samuel was going to pick the next king for Israel, he was looking for someone who looked like the previous king. I want to find someone who looks like Saul. Eliab, he looks a lot like Saul. This has got to be the guy. But God said, no, 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 this is not the guy. I don't want another version of what I already have. I want something new. I don't want another Saul. I want a new David. And this is what you need to know about your life and my life is that God is not trying to ask you to be another version of someone else. He doesn't want you to be a photocopy. He's calling you to be a masterpiece, something that can't be duplicated, something that can't be recreated. God chooses what he's going to use and what he chooses is never, never another version of someone else. God does not want another Pastor Clay in this world because he has one. God does not want another Joel Houston, even a better version of Joel Houston in this world, because he has one. God wants the only you that will live in this world and not anything else. God has called us to be masterpieces, not photocopies. When you screenshot an image on Instagram, what does it do? It loses its quality. And I think we have a generation who are screenshotting what other people's purposes and callings look like, and they're losing the quality of what theirs could actually be. I'm gonna call up TJ and the keys. The first thing that God does is God chooses and he's the only one who chooses. Yeah. And what he chooses is the image that reflects him. 
The second thing that God does is God sees. God sees. He doesn't miss a thing. God looks when no one else is looking. He looks at when no one else is looking. He says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, I don't look at things the way that people look at it. When David was in the field tending the sheep, God was watching when everyone else was looking at the party. When David was in the field tending the sheep and everyone was scrolling through Instagram thinking, who is going to be the next king? God was still looking at David. God does not miss a thing. God sees when you serve and no one thanks you. God sees when you give and you get nothing in return. God sees when you hang out with a friend in the parking lot late at night who needs to be encouraged and no one else is here. God sees it all. He does not miss a thing, good and bad. He sees when you look at that, that site when you're not supposed to be looking at it. He sees when you interact with an immoral and impure relationship when you're not supposed to go there. God does not miss a thing. He sees it all. But when you think about David, man, I, I could imagine. Let's just put ourselves in David's shoes. David is not even invited to his own party. Like imagine if your parents threw you a birthday party and they went to Jamaica and you were still in Florida. First of all, it sucks. <laughs> Second of all, that's gonna hurt. David was overlooked by his dad. Like think about this, all of us hate to be last picks in the PE class. David wasn't even in the gym. He was in the field, tending sheep while his brothers were being lined up based on who they thought was qualified. He was overlooked. No one valued him. He was the little brother who was just tending the sheep. Oh, we, ha we have one more. He's, he's out there doing whatever, bah. He's there. And I think a lot of you feel that way. Where you're overlooked and your pastors aren't validating you and your leaders aren't validating you and your church isn't validating you and your family overlooks you and no one thanks me, no one appreciates me, no one cares about me. I'm here just tending the sheep and my brothers are just enjoying the party, just enjoying the festivities and I'm over here doing my thing, doing what God called me to do and no one's watching. It's the same thing with the woman with the issue of blood in Luke chapter eight. Kelly shared this story in the 530 service earlier. This woman, really short, she made her way to Jesus. She had an issue of bleeding. She had a disease for 12 years. 12 years, and she made her way to Jesus and she touched the edge of his garment and it says immediately she was healed. And the minute that she touched Jesus, Jesus says, oh my gosh, power has left me. I perceive that power has left me. Who touched me? And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? There's a thousand people around you. Everyone's touching you. You're Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 someone touched me. And then the disciples begin to give up and they dismiss the request of Jesus. Say, man, tons of people are touching you. I don't, I don't care who touched you right now. But there's four words in Luke chapter eight that you need to hear tonight that he's doing for you too. When the disciples gave up on looking for this woman, when everyone in the crowd gave up on looking for this woman, when everyone was just dismissing what Jesus said, there were four words in this verse that you need to hear. It says, but Jesus kept looking. He kept looking when everyone else was overlooking. He kept searching when no one cared. He kept praying when no one else was caring. 
Jesus kept looking. And I don't care what your family has done to you. I don't care what your friends have done to you. I don't care who's not looking at you, who's not valuing you, who's not thanking you. Jesus is still looking and he's not going to stop. He'll never quit. He'll never run out. He's still looking right now, despite whatever you feel like someone else is doing or not doing. God always chooses, he sees, and lastly, he finds. God finds. I love this part of the story, because no matter what Samuel did or didn't do, Samuel actually dropped the ball. Samuel and Jesse both dropped the ball in this situation. God sent an instrument to choose his next king, and neither of them can identify it. So God had to step in. This is why I don't put my, my hope in man. I'm never gonna put my hope in another image because he didn't create me. He's, he's just like me. He's a creation, not the creator. I put my hope in for the photographer who made this image in me, who's gonna develop this image in me, and who's gonna keep every single day pursuing me and developing me. God finds, he finds what he wants to find. He finds when he wants to find it and he'll, he'll pick out and choose anything that he wants to do. But the thing is, is God will always find what he wants to find. Always finds what he wants to find. And the way that he went about finding David in this story is he didn't tell Samuel, Samuel, you need to go find David. This is where, he at, where he's at. Here are his GPS coordinates. He didn't say, here's David. Here's his coordinates. This is where he's at. The way that God went about finding David is he told Samuel where David was last called. He said, he's in the field tending the sheep. If you want to find him, go there. He didn't say, oh, oh, David, let's look up where he is. Siri, can you help us find David? No, I don't want to know what that is. Can you, David, not D, D rock, David. Siri is sometimes deaf. He didn't ask Siri, where David was, he says, if you want to find David, go to the place that I last called him. And if God's going to find you, the place he's going to go is he's not going to look for you. He's going to go to the field that you last called him, that he last called you to be. So here, oh my gosh, everyone's overlooking me in leadership. I'm going to find another field. Guess what? God's going to go to the field that he last called you to, find, to be at if he wants to promote you. He's not gonna go looking for you. He's not gonna go searching. Oh my gosh, where's David? Is he over here, David? He's not in that field. He's actually gonna go to the field with the sheep that he called you to be at. So here's some encouragement for you. You feel like no one's looking at you. You feel like no one's finding you. Stay in the field. That's the only place God is gonna go to find you. He's gonna go to the field with the sheep where you're supposed to be. Because how you serve in the field is a good indicator of how you'll lead in the future. And if David could not take care of sheep, then who is he to take care of a, of, a, of a nation? Who is he to take care of Israel? You can't take care of 50 sheep. Why would I give you my people? The reason that David was the next king is because he was faithful where he was. Some of you, you need to stay faithful in the parking lot. You need to stay faithful serving at sub 30. You need to stay faithful in the group that you really don't even like the leader. I don't care if you like the leader. Do you think David likes sheep? Who likes sheep? But that's where God went to find him. God went to the field and nowhere else. 
And if he's gonna go looking for you to be his next king, he's gonna go to the field for you too. He's not gonna go search Jacksonville. He's not gonna go search all around Duval County. He's gonna say, oh, where did I last call him? Okay, I last called him to be on the parking team at sub 30. Let's go there and see where he's at. I actually happen to wonder if David wasn't in the field, what would have happened to David? Would he have even been the next king? I don't know. But the reality is, is he stayed there. David found, God found David in the field. And I'm gonna say this, I was telling to Pastor Clay earlier, the thing that I love about David is that when David was in the field tending the sheep and everyone else was at the party, David didn't blame the sheep for not being at the party. David didn't blame his circumstance. Oh, I, God, it's, it's the sheep's fault that I'm not at the, the party. No, it's not. That's where I want you in this season, in this time. Because if you're just gonna jump fields and jump parties, then you're not my king. If you can't be tested with these sheep, you'll never be trusted with my nation. Stay in the field, Sub 30. Stay coming to Sub 30 every single week, no matter what you feel like someone's looking or not looking at. No one's choosing you, no one's finding you. Guess what? Stay with the sheep. It's the only place God's gonna go. I thought about this. You know, you think that David, he spent... 20 years developing from the time he was anointed to the time he was appointed. 20 years. 20 chapters of David just doing absolutely nothing. Well, he did a lot, but he was not the king. God promised him the kingdom at age 17. He said, you are the one that I've chosen. And I could just imagine David, he's 17 years old at the time. And 20 years later, he finally gets the kingdom. There were tons of up, of up and downs for, for, for David in that season. You know, he killed Goliath right after that. That's a good thing. He was, he was, you know, he called to be the leader of the army, the commander of the army eventually. But the thing that I see in David's life, from the time that he was anointed to the time that he was appointed, was he often found himself in caves, in dark places. He often found himself in a place where he was running for his life, where no one could see him, no one could validate him, no one could encourage him. David was the one who said, I encourage myself in the Lord. And I think that was developed in the cave. Because here's what happens in God's kingdom. What you experience in the cave is preparation for the castle. David is in a cave for 20 years asking God, what am I doing here? The king is trying to kill me. He's throwing spears at me. He's sending men after me. Why am I in this cave? And I think God, I think God is just whispering in his ear, the reason you're in the cave is so that you can handle the castle. And some of you, you're in metaphoric caves right now where it's just nothing but darkness and you can only hear your own voice. And there are things going around now. How do I get out of this thing? There is no way out. The reason you're in the cave right now is to prepare you for the castle. God has anointed you at some time. He has given you an image and he's not given up on that image. The image in the dark room is never created. It's just illuminated. There's an image and a call on your life. And the reason you're facing darkness is for the castle. Yeah, you might be in a cave, but there's a castle so much greater. And he spent 20 years in the dark, but he spent 37 years in the light leading the kingdom of Israel. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through, 
but you're not alone. David's not the only one who's gone through this. I'm not the only one who's gone through this. You're not the only one who's gone through the dark room. If you were to actually look at the life of Jesus, Jesus started his ministry at 30. So he lived 33 years on this earth. He started at 30. He had three years of public ministry. Jesus spent 30 years in the dark and three years in the light. Why? Because if you cannot be developed in the dark, you will never be discovered in the light. If Jesus were here today, like if Jesus were to be on this earth when he was born, and if he were to have a sub-30 service to attend, he would be in development stage. He actually wouldn't even be the Messiah and the Savior that we read about. He would still be in the season that you're going through right now, saying, God, why am I still in this dark room? Why am I still being developed in the dark? Why am I still in this cave? You're in that cave so you can get character to, su to support your gift. You're in that cave so light gets in you so the light that gets on you doesn't destroy you. You're in that cave so that when you get to the castle, you can handle the kingdom. You're in that cave so I can make you a king before you ever get a kingdom. This is why you're in the dark. I'm just gonna ask you guys to close your eyes and bow your head. Ben, you can join me. I don't, I don't think any of us are exempt from this season of being developed in the dark. I mean, who are we to think that if it took Jesus 30 years to develop, that it can take us three? Like he spent 30 years of doing public ministry, three years of public ministry and 30 years of development. It's okay if you're still being developed. You're not behind. You're not off track. You're not out of God's will. You're exactly where he wants you to be being developed in the dark. If you're in here tonight and you would say, I mean, I, I feel like I've been in some, some metaphoric dark rooms lately where, where no one has seen me, no one has chose me, no one's found me and I'm just being developed and I'm really not, I don't feel like I'm living out my calling. You know, I've been in this cave for so long and it's been dark and I don't know what to do anymore. If you're in here tonight and you feel like you're being developed in the dark and you're in a dark room, I just want you to lift your hands. You can go ahead and lift them right now. Amen. Second question I wanna ask. So if you're in here tonight and you say, man, I, I feel far from God. You know, I, I might not be in a dark room, but I'm probably in my own room that I've created. And I wanna give my life to Jesus. You feel far from God, you've walked away from God. I don't know what you call a Christian, but you just feel like you are not in relationship with God. If that's you on the count of three, lift your hands. One, two, three. Amen, there's hands up everywhere. Amen, amen. Can you stand to your feet with me really quick? I'm gonna do something we haven't done in a little while. Because I wanna pray for you guys. Here's the thing that you have to know. None of us are exempt from this dark room. None of us are exempt from being developed in the dark. If Jesus Christ had to do it himself as the savior of the world, fully God, fully man, then we have to experience it too. And if you raise your hand for any of those things, I want you to, to come down here right now. I wanna pray for you. You can make your way down right now. I just want you to come to the altar. I want you to flood down here and say, you know what, God, I, I feel like I've been overlooked. I feel like I've been misused. I feel like you've given me an image, but no one is trusting it. No one is talking about it. Come on, just make your way down. Make your way down. 
I'm telling you, you're not in this alone. Look around. This is a season that all of us are going to be in at some point. And if you're not in one now, you're going to be in one at some point. So if you can, come on, can you lift your hands, maybe grab the person to your right and to your left and pray. I don't know what you wanna do, what you feel comfortable with, but we're gonna go into this song of worship. And as we go into this song, I just pray and I ask that you embrace the season that you're in. The castle is coming despite whatever cave you might be in. It is coming, come on, pray with me, Sub 30. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for tonight, God. Thank you for everything you're doing. God, I trust you right now to develop me, to instill your image, instill your purpose, instill your destiny on my life, God. Right now, I choose to follow you and trust you in every decision, God. I will not run from this. I will not despise this dark season, God. I will embrace it with all that I have. You are developing and trusting me, God. Thank you so much.